Hello everybody. So this episode I'm going to be talking about various things that go wrong in sexual communication and then what you can do instead. So I really hope you get value out of it and if you have gotten value out of it and or you just want to up your sexual communication skill set then you're going to love my digital, it's a digital audio course called Mastering Sexual Communication. So it's six parts, it's a six part audio course kind of like listening to a podcast plus two PDF workbooks, including one with handy go-to phrases and words when you get stuck. So if you want it, it's 27 quid, like 27 British pounds, which is oh, the currency conversions in the link. Anyway, it's in the link in the show notes. You buy once, it's yours to keep for as long as I have access to the platform. And I really hope it gives you the tools and the skills and the confidence to confidently communicate what you want in bed so you can have more of what you want and less of what you don't. Less grit in your teeth and more moans of pleasure. Link is in the show notes. Let's do this episode. Hello. I'm recording this episode on a Friday evening. Literally, not literally. I'm, I'm flying to the UK tomorrow to do various family stuff and also go to an event. Um, so I've tried to give myself a boundary that I'm going to keep this podcast to 20 minutes. Whether I will keep to that boundary is another thing, but let's see, <laughs> let's see how we go. And I will find it very hilarious if by the time I finish this, it will be 45 minutes in. One day I will record a podcast episode that is 20 minutes long, but that just ain't how I roll. That's not how I work. It may not be, um, I don't know, bite-sized, social media friendly, whatever, but this is how I work. I'm a long form copy kind of gal. Anyway. So today I wanted to talk about three things that go wrong in sexual communication and what to do instead or what to think instead or busting those myths. I was trying to think of a really snappy title for this, you know, three things to do or three things not to do. Um, But I've got three themes I want to talk about and then either what you can do instead or busting that myth. So let's just (laughs) let's just go with it. And in all of this, if you want to get more, if you want to go more in depth, if you want to have more specific training skills in getting better at sexual communication, then boy, do I have a treat for you. I've got my wonderful audio course, Mastering Sexual Communication, along with, I say a PDF workbook in some places, other it's just like an ebook, but it's basically got two ebooks that come with it. One which kind of breaks down the different um, pillars, if you like, and the other one of handy go-to words and phrases and real life scenarios. So when you're you're in freeze and you're like, what do I say? Ah, here are some handy go-to phrases. So the link to buy it will be in the show notes. It's 27 quid, which is 27 pounds, which, oh God, US dollars, maybe 33. If it's euros, it's like 31. The exchange rate is all over the place because the British pound is all over the place. But all the links will be in my show notes. You buy, you pay once, you pay with a credit card through a secure server in whatever currency you have. And I don't receive your card details and you will get access to the course. It's an audio format. So you get to hear my sexy voice just like you're listening to my sexy voice now. I know. Um, Right, let's go into this. And one of the reasons I wanted to record this episode is, well, I get on my soapbox about many things, as you should bloody well know right now. And one of them is that when it comes to sexual communication or communication in general, remember that none of us were taught this. Or if you were taught it, you were incredibly lucky. (laughs) Because if you're listening to this going, what, what? 
no, Lucy, my parents brought me up really well. I look, well, that you were, you were the, what was it? You were the outlier. You are the minority. In general, for most people, we were not taught specific communication skills growing up unless we then decided to specifically learn and invest in that. Like I learned all of my good communication skills through good old coaching and therapy. And especially when it comes to sexual communication, it's so underrated. You know, you can end up, so many people will be Googling how to spice it up in bed, how to have a good orgasm, how to give a good blowjob. And those are all great. I highly recommend them. And often the most effective thing is the most simple, which is if you don't learn how to communicate in bed or if sexual communication is difficult for you, you're kind of setting yourself up to fail or it's a bit of a gamble because if you can't communicate what you like and what you don't like and what you want more of and what you don't want then you're kind of just winging it but also I've talked about this on Instagram a lot it's very much a feminist issue because it's uh, in, in my audience is mostly women and those um, socialized as female that most of us as women we were socialized and conditioned to think only of our sexuality within the context of a relationship usually with a man because we grew, we we all come from a heteronormative society and when we think about the principles of feminism and particularly around i know by the way as i say this i'm going to sound like a very bad feminist and i'm probably going against all the principles of feminism but one of the principles, especially as I identify as a feminist and so many of my clients and followers and whoever is in my sphere also identifies this way, is that we're taking ownership of our own destinies. We're taking ownership. This is a very bad definition. But the point I'm trying to make is, please don't come at me, by the way. Um, the point I'm trying to make is for so many women and those socialized as female, by not clearly communicating what we want and what we don't want, we're unintentionally outsourcing our pleasure and our sexuality to our partners, whether they're a man or not. And it's a very subtle thing, but think about that. And also, what's it? One of my mum's favorite phrases, if you don't ask, you don't get. It's very hard to ask for what you want sometimes because, again, down to your conditioning, you're probably told many things like I want don't mean I get or something. But actually where am I going with this? I'm one of my many tangents. Being a sexually empowered adult who has sex and is empowered about their bodies, which I believe you all are and or want to be, that involves being responsible for your body and your pleasure. And that means being empowered to ask for what you want in a very messy, imperfect way, which I'll go into one of the points here about perfectionism. But this is why I believe learning how to communicate in bed is so important. Of the many things that are important, that you can Google umpteen different sex positions and different G-spots and different ways to orgasm. And that's awesome. But, and, what's it? I, I use this analogy with masturbation too, where you teach a man to fish and you feed him for life. But it's the same thing. When you learn how to communicate in bed, it's going to set you up for much more you could say successful sex, but much more sex that you actually enjoy, sex you want to be having, intimacy you want to be having, things in your relationship that you want to be having, as opposed to things you don't or going on default. Because so many of us were conditioned, whether it's in sex and intimacy and in relationships, many things in life too, we end up going on default, especially if you're one of those people who, let me just adjust myself here, 
who resonates or identifies with, oh yeah, I'm just really easygoing. You know, I go with the flow. Hmm. Maybe think about that. Right. Off on the tangent. Here is the first one. The first thing that goes wrong slash mistake is not knowing what you want in the first place. And that is a tricky one. Or maybe you've got some inklings of what you want. And I could put an asterisk here, not believing you're worthy of having what you want because you were conditioned in various different ways, especially if you come from purity culture or a shaming background. And I cover this in the first module of Mastering Sexual Communication. If you don't know what you want, if you don't know what you like, it's very hard to ask for it. And also, it does not mean that you have to have a whole bloody shopping list. I mean, if you do, great. But you don't have to have a clear-cut thing. So these are my point A, point B, and point C. Even just have an inkling. When I talk about knowing what you want, it doesn't mean that you have to know exactly how you want the sex to be going and how long you want them to lick your clit for. (laughs) What I mean is also what kind of touch you like, what kind of touch you don't like, what kind of pressure you want, how long you want them to spend on your clit, how long you need them to spend on your clit, what positions you like, what positions you don't like, how, and also just outside of the bedroom, what kind of connection you need, what kind of what was it flirting you need what actually turns you on these are all things that it doesn't mean you have to know them more by now because I know that whenever I have tried to learn a new skill and I've gotten really overwhelmed you think oh fuck there's just too much for me to learn but follow the breadcrumbs having some sort of inclination as to what you like and what you want and also when I talk about feeling worthy of having what you want, having this belief that you deserve to bloody well have what you want. This goes into so much, I don't know, I could say conditioning patterns around being worthy of having what you want, being allowed to have wants, needs and desires. If you listen to a couple of episodes ago and I'm interviewing my former client, Shay Court, who comes from a very, very conservative Christian background, but you don't have to have come from Christianity. I've been in so many group programs as a what's it, a participant, where it's the same old stories of not being allowed to have wants, needs, and desires. Having wants and needs makes you cringy, it makes you needy, it makes you bossy, it makes you all these things. And, you know, I talk about whenever I I go to networking events, like I'm a sex coach, people have all these ideas that I'm standing in a bed with pom-poms throwing dildos at you. But often going much deeper than that, it's, do you feel worthy Do you allow yourself to have wants? Do you allow yourself to want? Because your relationship with wanting, your relationship with allowing yourself to have needs, because um, spoiler alert, we are all needy as fuck. I mean, I know that I struggled with that for a long time where I didn't want to be this needy person, but no, I am personally very needy and you are too, because as humans, we have needs and you deserve to have, I say you deserve to have needs. That sounds... To be a human is to have needs. It is intrinsic to our humanity to have needs. But so many of us and so many women and those socialized as female, and also this applies to all genders, we're taught that to have needs makes you somehow weak or silly, that we should be self-sufficient. And maybe you can add in all your stuff from childhood as well. But the point I'm trying to make is this can really poke the bear of your wounding around, oh my God. I don't actually know what I want because I'm scared of having wants. I'm scared to want. 
And you don't have to go too deep into that. But what if part of that, the, the steps towards having more empowered sexual communication is letting yourself acknowledge what your needs and your wants are, especially if it feels vulnerable, especially if it makes your bum clench. Because I will say this again, you are allowed to be needy as fuck. You are allowed to be high maintenance because you are a human being. <laughs> I, Lucy Rowett, am incredibly needy and high maintenance. And I own that about myself. So let yourself be needy. Let yourself be high maintenance. Well, with an asterisk, with an asterisk there. Anyway, so that's one of the first mistakes or places where, thing, where, places where people go wrong, not knowing what you want in the first place or not allowing yourself or not feeling safe to want what you want. Because maybe what you want feels silly or frivolous or like super cringy. Or maybe it's a little bit more taboo. Maybe it's a little bit kinky. Maybe it's darker. One of the things I do with my clients, whether it's one-to-one in groups, whatever, is get familiar with and get comfortable with wanting. Because the wanting in itself is fairly neutral. Just allowing yourself to want in the first place doesn't mean you then have to act on that want. There's a, there's a very big gap between wanting something and then taking the action steps in order to get that want realized. But so many people go wrong is not allowing themselves to want in the first place. One of the exercises I do and I've done for myself, I do with clients is go on a want walk where you go for a walk and you do like a random stream of consciousness where you think about what you want right now. Like if I think right now, what I want is to jump into a hot bath. <laughs> What I want is for some honey on my throat because my throat is starting to get sore. And then, <clears throat> then what you do is you start to follow that train of thought of things that you want right now. And this is a skill. I say it's a skill. It's something you have to keep practicing. It's not a one and you're done because it's a lot of conditioning we have to unravel here. But the point is start to get familiar with, start to get comfortable with, start allowing yourself to want. And what if, you know, if shout out to any other Elizabeth Gilbert fans here, if you've read the book, the book, uh, big magic, I should, I could be massively paraphrasing here, but one of the things I got was that in the book, big magic, she talks about how our, our wantings, our desires, what if we could see them as, I don't know, something from the universe that is wanting us in return. What if our wants and desires were, I don't know, something that is deeper you know, for in many different spiritual contexts, they talk about how your wants and desires are a sign from something deeper, maybe be connected to your life purpose, or it could just be connected to what is going to help you be more whole. One of the, one of my favorite, what's it, when I was transitioning out of Christianity, and I got into Tantra and sacred sexuality, one of the wonderful things I read and that really helped reframe my own relationship with wanting and desires and desire in general, not just sexual desire, was what if I could see that energy of wanting, that energy of desiring is something sacred. It does not mean I have to act on it. Can I just hold that energy of desiring? Like one really good example is I'm walking past a shop and I see a dress in a window. I do love my dresses. Can I stand there? And for a few moments, savor wanting that dress, savor those feelings of desire, of wanting. 
It doesn't mean I'm going to go in and buy that dress. I can just enjoy that wanting. Play with wanting. You are allowed to want. Right. Now on to the next one. And this is also a biggie. They're all biggies. Spoiler alert. And that is worrying about it, quote unquote, ruining the mood or upsetting or offending your partner. And I have so many strong thoughts and feelings about this. First of all, again, I'm using the word conditioning a lot. But remember that it's so important, especially as women and those socialized as female. And I also want to say that many, many men receive this conditioning too, which is not, not being, what's it, caretaking other people's emotions, that other people's emotions and comfort is more important than your own. Now, this is much more prevalent in women than men. I'm sorry, but it's the way that we are socialized. It's the way that women are in general socialized to be human givers rather than human beings. And for many, many men, especially if you come from a <clears throat> dysfunctional childhood where you learned that the only way to be safe was to constantly be scanning the room for other people's needs. I mean, I'm, I'm not a psychologist. And I'm not going to go into a whole therapeutic thing. But if you've had your own journey of therapy with your own difficult relationship with your parents, where you had to be the emotional caregiver, you had to be present for them because of various horrible things. You probably also resonate with this. Putting everybody else's needs, wants and emotions above your own, because that was literally how you were brought up. <laughs> and maybe we could even go further. Maybe you were actually physically or emotionally punished for having needs and wants. I mean, this you know goes into childhood trauma and all of these things. I don't want to go too deep into that. But it's just knowing that that conditioning is there in the first place. And it also you also don't have to have come from a horrible childhood, but or difficult things in childhood or all sorts of things. But just knowing that conditioning of putting other people's needs not up. What's it? My my friend Tamu says a really good thing. It's something along the lines of me feeling bad is no them them feeling bad is worse than me feeling bad. That it's better if I feel bad as long as the other person, as long as anybody else is okay. And that is a pattern that plays out in so many ways in life, as you probably know, not just in sex. But if we're thinking about sex in particular, in intimacy, it's a very default thing we can go to where we're worrying more about what our partner thinks, if they're having a good time, than what we actually want. And then I'd say this is much less about a sexual communication thing and much more around a boundaries and self-worth thing. What can you start to do to really affirm that you are allowed of having, not just having a good time, but when we talk about the fear of ruining the mood, what are you most afraid of happening? Are you afraid that your partner's going to shout at you? Are you afraid that they might get violent? Because, or are you afraid that they're going to get really pissy with you and emotional with you and do all sorts of emotional fuckery? Because if that's the case, darling, this isn't about the sex. This is a whole relationship issue that it really needs addressing. And maybe this is not the right relationship for you. If you find that you are treading on eggshells around your partner terrified of offending them or getting them upset because there's going to be very real ramifications for you darling this is not a sex thing there is something very wrong in happening in your relationship that needs addressing because this ain't about the sex and it could just be something that's really ingrained in you um i often give this anecdote what's it years ago 
by the way, I'm my earrings are tapping against my um, earbuds here. One second. Right. Just took my earbuds out. I always use, I give this analogy a lot. I was at um, a consent workshop um, on some sexological retreat somewhere. And one of my amazing friends and colleagues was giving the consent workshop. And I can't remember the ins and outs of it, um, but it was basically around how asking for consent is sexy, why communicating consent gets to be sexy and all of these things and how communicating consent actually builds intimacy, builds trust and all of that, which is also why a big part of sexual communication. And what was interesting, there were quite a few people there who said, but, but doesn't it ruin the mood though? And not surprisingly, those people, people complaining were men not all of them you know there were many men there who were very open to it and also I want to say that the following year uh another what was it one of my guy one of my friends who is an amazing person who is a man led the consent workshop so and I love him <laughs> shout out to you Randy but she said that she found it very very interesting that when she whenever she ran this workshop and it was mixed genders it was always a couple of men who would say that asking for consent or communicating consent in a sexy way would ruin the mood. Hmm. That's a tricky one, isn't it? And this is not about bashing men at all. It's actually about understanding what we call the sociosexual scripts. This thing where we are supposed to know what we're doing in bed. And for many, many men, they are conditioned and taught that you should know what you're doing in bed because you have to be the initiator. You have to take the lead. And actually, it's it's silly or I don't know. You shouldn't have to ask your partner what they want because you should just know because you should just be a magical lover. And that really harms everybody. So think about that. And the, the flip side that I'm giving is rather than worrying about ruining the mood or upsetting your partner, you're actually giving them a gift. You're giving them the gift of honesty. What if you telling your partner and saying, you know what, this doesn't feel good. I want to try this instead. Yes, it's a risk. It's a huge risk. You're being incredibly vulnerable. And it's a gift to your partner and to yourself. If you can't do it for yourself, do it for your partner because you're giving them honesty. Because if your partner, your lover, your husband, your wife, whatever, is worth a grain of salt, if they love you, if they care about you, they don't want to be having sex with someone who's not into it. Of course they don't. They want you to have a good time. And they, can, they almost certainly know that something isn't right. When you're playing together, when you're doing things, they will know, even if you're making noises, even if you're faking an orgasm, humans are incredibly wise. They will know something doesn't feel right. Something doesn't feel congruent. Our, our spidey senses, our nervous systems pick it up. So when you are taking that risk of actually telling them what you want or telling them you know, if something's hurting or they're going too fast, whoa, can we slow it down? Can you go softer? You're giving them a gift of being honest. And that honesty is going to lead to you feeling much closer. And that will make for much hotter sex. Because you're actually not, what's it? You're being honest. You're able to trust them or they can trust you. And this is kind of piggybacking on the consent workshop thing and why asking you for consent and working with consent gets to be really sexy. And why consent is sexy. Because you know that the person you are playing with, you know that the yes they are giving, and I'm 
tapping my finger on my desk to prove a point, you know that their yes is authentic. You know their yes is authentic and they're not just putting up with it. Like one of my wonderful friends and colleagues, Shawnee Wilde, he has this phrase, can I trust you with your boundaries? If you've ever done kink and BDSM, you know that the foundation of that is consent. And you have to know your hard limits, otherwise things can go wrong. And you don't have to be kinky to enjoy this in sex. So you communicating what you want and what you don't want is giving your partner a gift of honesty, of connection. And that can either strengthen your relationship, make the sex even hotter and more connected, or it will show the cracks that were already there that you were trying to paper over by being over accommodating. You are, it's illuminating the cracks where you were taking on all that emotional labor. So you, I say you have nothing to lose. It's a bit more complex than that, but either way, communicating honestly in bed, learning how to communicate is a gift to you and your partner either way. So there's that. The third and final one is perfectionism, aka worrying about getting it wrong. Hands up if you are definitely not a perfectionist. You're like so totally laid back in life and you find it so easy to take risks. I mean, if you are great, good for you. Very jealous. <laughs> perfectionism, so many people talk about it and it's so sneaky. And how it shows up in sexual communication in bed is worrying about saying the wrong thing, worrying about, it could be worrying about killing the mood, worrying about getting it wrong. And it's funny because whenever I work with survivors of purity culture from very uh, conservative religious backgrounds, well, getting it wrong had literal eternal consequences, didn't it? We didn't want to get it wrong because that could mean eternal damnation. It could mean God disapproving. There were very big consequences for getting it wrong. And or if you are somebody who is a high achiever, who maybe was a gifted kid in school, who your literal job that pays your bills requires you to be very, very bloody good at it. There's a very big cost to getting things wrong in your life. Unfortunately, that means that it's very difficult to get it wrong. Um, what's it? One thing, because I absolutely identify as a, an overachiever, perfectionist, recovering good girl type A personality, and it's really sticky, that conditioning. But I always find it very funny every time I'm with other high achievers, especially high achieving women, but high achievers in general, the idea of experimenting and looking bad and feeling silly they would much rather I stick pins in their eyes. They would much rather do an icy cold plunge. It brings them out the hives. It brings the heebie-jeebies. And yet, this is where the growth edge can be. Because I love quoting people. Like, what's it? To quote the wonderful Cindy Darnell when she did an amazing, what's it, webinar on desire a while back, a few years ago. And she said that she's never had a couple come to her who say, I want my sex to begin on time. I want it to go through a certain cadence and I want it to have these peaks and troughs and then end a certain way. No, we know the best sex happens when it's fun, when it's spontaneous, when you can laugh. If you do a fanny fart and it's funny rather than embarrassing. <laughs> All of these things. Perfectionism ain't going to cut it there. And one thing to remember when it comes to sexual communication, this ain't a one and you're done. 
This is something you're going to keep practicing and keep getting better at all of your life. And that means being okay or practicing being okay with sucking at it at first, with it coming out in a really tiny voice saying, do you mind if we do this now? Because that doesn't matter. Do it anyway. One of my mottos in business and in life is do it crappily, but do it anyway. Can you give yourself permission to be really shit at sexual communication? To say it in a really bad way, to let your voice come out like a squeak, to what's it, to say the wrong thing. And what if actually you quote unquote getting it wrong makes you get even closer? You could end up laughing. It could be a point of intimacy. It could be a point where, I don't know, you say something in a weird voice that comes out weird and it's funny to both of you. Like the best sex happens when you can laugh together in bed. So what if this perfectionism, this fear of getting it wrong is actually one of the, the trip ups and the, the antidote to that is let yourself get it wrong. Because again, do you want the sex that you're having with your partner, with your husband, with your wife, with your girlfriend, with your sexy main squeeze to be perfectly scripted where your face is super serious? It's like super game face orgasm. I mean, again, we have movies and porn to blame for this. Whenever you see a sex scene in most movies and TV shows and in porn, it's perfectly scripted. There's no cellulite. Their bodies are moving in unison in a perfect way. Her moans come out at a perfect pitch. The orc, her cum face is sexy and it definitely doesn't look, definitely doesn't look like you're drooling. <laughs> that ain't going to cut it in bed. And the same comes with sexual communication. Let yourself spectacularly fuck it up. And what if that was the point of connection? What if maybe it comes out in a really careless way? Maybe your partner does get a little bit upset. And what if that could be a point of repair where you start to have really honest conversations with each other? Social media, and I'm not going to rant about social media because I use it. And I, I see that it has a shadow and a light. But, you know, one of the, the shadow sides of social media that is well documented, that absolutely messes up people's mental health, is this idea that there is a perfection, this, that everyone else is living this perfect, perfectly filtered life. And that really messes with your mental health when you see my life ain't like that. It's the same when you can see, I don't know, you could say influences around sex and relationships or tantra teachers or therapists. And you might get this impression that their relationships and their communication is always clear, that there's never a misunderstanding. Nah, mate, I, I officially confirm as a sex coach that my own communication with my husband often is incredibly messy. Because I'm learning and I'm a human. So let it be messy. And that is the point of connection, not some scripted fantasy. Fantasies are great, but that's not how we do things in real life all the time. Let yourself get it wrong. Let yourself be silly. And I don't know, one thing I'm thinking, there's an overarching theme in all of this as I'm recording this, which is, can you take the risk to allow yourself to be seen? as you are without pretending being real about what you actually like what you actually don't like what pressure you actually need so you don't need to fake it because you're not worried about what your partner thinks of you now when not worrying about what your partner thinks of you okay this isn't like a pedestal to get to it's always going to be peaks and troughs with it but worrying less about what your partner thinks of you and that feeling that is less important as to what you need. 
Because if you are somebody who struggles with having wants, needs and boundaries, <laughs> desires, with boundaries, with all of that stuff, that growth edge is you trusting your own experience and valuing that. I mean, I can give you the permission slip. You can borrow my permission until you can give it to yourself. You are worthy and allowed to have the sex that you want to be having that feels good to you. Uh, oh, by the way, when I say you're allowed to be having the sex you want to be having, in terms of you are responsible for your own body, please do not break the boundaries of your relationship or do any weird ass coercive shit with your partner. <laughs> I'm talking about with your own body. Things that happen within your own body. It is your birthright for it to feel good to you. Please do not try and control your partner's behavior. Anyway, so I just saw a Reddit thread the other day. Anyway, but the point is, all of this is that fear of being vulnerable, fear of being seen. And it sounds so cliche, you know, in personal development, but it often comes to that. Can I take the risk? Can I be brave enough to tell my partner, I want to try anal? Or I don't want to try anal. Or I want you to go much slower. Or I want to try bondage. I want you to spank me. I want to try some dominance and submission. Or what I want is to be cuddled. I just want to spend half an hour cuddling in a cocoon. Will you tell me how beautiful I am? Will you touch me? Will you caress me? Will you breathe and look into my eyes? You are allowed to want that. Own that desire. Um, there's something else I was going to say. Here it is. When we take that risk of asking for what we want and, yeah, asking for what we want and asking for things, there is always the risk of rejection. I should have added that as a fourth point, but there we go. I'm adding it now. What if I'm rejected? What if my partner says no? Fear of rejection is a big one. And you know what? I'm going to make this the fourth point. Here we go. The official fourth point. <laughs> the big, the fourth big one is fear of rejection. That when you say something that your partner is going to reject you. I guess it could tie into point two where you're scared of, or point one where you're scared of ruining the mood. But it's deeper than that. It's that fear of rejection. Are they going to think I'm disgusting? Are they going to think I'm a slut? Are they going to think I'm greedy? Are they going to think I'm needy? All of these things. Yes. And what if? <laughs> What's so bad about all of those things? But this is often what stops people from asking and taking that risk in the first place of being rejected. And that pain of rejection, mate, that hurts. And I'm not going to try and mindset you and saying, you can mind your set out of being being afraid of rejection. Nah, rejection hurts, especially if you have rejection, If especially if you are sensitive to rejection. You have re rejection sensitivity dysphoria. And putting on our big girl pants... That is yours to own. What if instead of projecting that onto your partner, you really own that about yourself? I am scared of being rejected. And this is how it shows up for me. This is how I react. Because then you take ownership of that. This is not about trying to change your fear of rejection or how rejection feels. Because I also have, I, I have a big sensitivity to rejection. God. And the more I know that about myself, the more I can work with it, I'm less likely to project it onto other people and also give myself more tenderness. I'm not, I'm not also trying to say, right, you should just make yourself immune and not feel feelings. No, let yourself fear that fear of rejection. Because also 
your partner might. They might reject you. They might say no. What is so bad about that? Again, it goes back to the previous point. They are also giving you that gift of honesty. Your partner, quote unquote, rejecting you, saying no to you, they are giving you a massive gift of their own honesty and boundaries. So you're both being incredibly brave and incredibly honest with each other. Yes, your partner might say no. And yeah, it will probably hurt and it might piss you off. Give yourself that time and space to process that feeling of being pissed off. But own that and bring it to the, say, bring it to the light. Work with it. Own the hell out of it. Um, I, there are so many ways in which you can work a fear of rejection. Like if you've ever been to a tantra festival or workshop, that will be a big uh, development course in rejection because you'll be doing exercises and you'll be asked to paired up. You'll be asked to pair up with people, and people will say no to you, and that will bloody hurt. <laughs> Believe me, it will hurt. It will stir up all of your feelings of insecurity. It will bring you back to your teenage years, to your high school years, all of that stuff. It will hurt. And this can be a great opportunity for you to start to be aware of it and to reparent yourself. Oh, we're getting deep here, but it's true. Own that fear of rejection for yourself. Learn how to comfort and soothe that young part of you who was hurt when you were rejected years ago. Like, I still remember, what's it, a high school dance. God, I'm not that old, but it was a high school disco. And I was feeling confident in myself and I asked one of the boys to dance and he laughed at me and ran off. Bloody hell, that hurt. That took ages to work through. It is okay if your partner rejects you. And I'm saying reject you with with quote marks here. What if you could base more of your self-worth on even if my partner says no, it doesn't matter because I'm still allowed to want what I want and my wants are still valid. And them saying no is not any reflection on my self-worth or my wants or who I am as a person. That is emotional mastery ninja shit and it's absolutely possible for you. Absolutely possible for you. And I bet my entire tea collection that it will happen at some point where you don't even realise that it's a big thing. (laughs) And you'll think, why was I making such a big deal of that? It is okay. So this is the fourth one where people trip up with sexual communication. Fear of being rejected. And I'm saying to you, it's okay. If your partner says no, it's a gift of honesty. And it might empower you to be able to say no to them. And... What if, in that risk of rejection, they actually said yes? A final thought, because I am massively over time, as I predicted. All human relationships are a big risk. Human relationships are a gamble. And especially romance, intimate relationships. It is a huge gamble. It is a huge risk. There is always the risk of you getting very badly hurt. And this is life. This is how we attach. What if instead of trying to shield yourself from being hurt, you let yourself feel those feelings of being hurt because that is a human. You know, one of my gripes with social media is that it tends to memify and make isms out of relationship advice that do not work, that are so not nuanced. 
And part of that is that human relationships are messy. Human relationships can get ugly in terms of as humans, we are all flawed. We're all just making it up as we go along. We're doing the best we can. This is why I'm really, I feel really icky whenever I see social media stuff around red flags in a relationship. I really hate that because it's so nuanced and complex in that. But the point is, can you open yourself up? Can you build some more safety within yourself that it's okay if you get rejected? And maybe that same person who rejected you might change their mind. In what's it in therapy, we call it rupture and repair, but this is how human relationships work. In that we fuck up, we hurt each other, and then if it is a healthy relationship, we repair it. <laughs> so I hope this episode has given you more courage to make mistakes, take the risk of asking for what you want in bed. And if you want to have more specific, let's say, advice, support with that, you're going to love Mastering Sexual Communication audio course. It will give you more tools and specific skill sets. And I'm very much on my soapbox because I am tapping my finger on my desk to learn how to communicate in bed. And it's a skill that will set you up for life. Whether you stay with the same person for 40 years, whether you are polyamorous, non-monogamous, whether you are in situationships, doesn't matter. It's a skill that will last you for life. <laughs> right. Lucy is out. I'm double over the time I said I was but there we go and I can't wait to connect with you next time thanks for listening to today's episode can you do me a huge favor I would be so grateful if you could rate and review this podcast on iTunes on Spotify and any other platform I post this podcast to it helps more people listen to it and it helps spread the word also, if you enjoyed today's episode or any of the other episodes, I would be so grateful if you shared it with someone who you think would really enjoy it and benefit from it. Want to stay in touch on social media? You can find me on Instagram at Lucy Lou Rowett, on TikTok at Lucy Rowett, and on Facebook and LinkedIn and probably other social media platforms too. And finally, don't forget to join my mailing list. If you sign up, you get a free PDF on how to confidently communicate in bed to avoid awkwardness and have what you really, really want. So it's in the link in my show notes. It's in the link in my bio in my Instagram. It's on my website. It's in loads of places. So do sign up because not only do you get me direct into your inbox, but because I talk about sex, I never know if I'm going to be banned from any social media platform. So let's stay in touch. And if you want to explore working together, you can contact me through my website or through the link in my show notes. Until then, here's to living a shameless, shame-free life full of pleasure on your own terms, in your body. Until next time. Bye.